The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Our world is always so rush, rush. We can never get any personal time to ourselves, let alone those that we love. Welcome to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. Our mission, to reintroduce kindness and compassion to our busy lives. Remember when life was so much simpler? Gabriella and her guests today will pick up the ball of human kindness and by doing so, empower you to make changes in your own life. And now, here is Gabriella Von Ray. Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, and welcome to another Mind Radio Show. Today's topic is college versus workforce misconceptions on LGBT. Now, we have two guests that are quite um, um, specialized in the sense that they know about the topic LGBT. One is Bruce LeBlanc, who works for Blackhawk College, and the other one is Vanya, uh, Chris Vanya. Sorry about that. Welcome on the show, you two. Great to be here. Uh, I'm really glad that you're on this show because LGBT, when I already hear it, and and I'm going to let you start, Bruce, but when I hear it, I already think, what does this mean? And I think instantly, why do we have names to already put someone in the box? Okay, I'm, I'm, as far as well, I'll give you my background first. As far as why you yes. know, people listen, why they don't listen. I'm a professor of sociology and psychology. My specialty, um, um, as an academic, it has been lesbian, gay uh, studies. Most of my research has been relative to particularly the lesbian and uh, gay communities. I have not done much in the bisexual or transgendered community. Um, so, as an academic at Blackhawk, that's where I've specialized in uh, in my training. And uh, seven degrees that I hold, I'm highly, uh, that's my addiction. We can talk about that at another time. Uh, <laughs> for me, I'll just kind of set it up as far as, okay. it originally started as far as looking at the lesbian and gay community, kind of coming, they existed historically for periods of time, at least in the United States, coming back to the you know early parts of the 19th century and, 20, and getting into the 20th century as far as looking at that. And then they came together a little bit more relative to the HIV-AIDS issue. And then as they started asserting themselves post Stonewall. We then started to say there needs to be a group that represents all of the sexual minorities. So then historically they began to bring in the bisexual community, which is the B, and then the T relative to that can either be referred to as the transgendered community, which would also include the transsexual community as well as a particular group. So it becomes kind of like the cluster symbolism regarding how we're going to address the sexual minority issues within particularly the world and from a state's perspective within the United States. And as I briefly mentioned before the show, it's even expanded to include now other sexual minorities and their rights as well. But but the question that I have instantly, Bruce, just just hearing those words, I, I personally always find it irritating that at the one hand, it's beautiful that we have a word for it now. But... Is it nice for them, that for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community, is it something that they were seeking for to have a name like that? Or are we doing it to create a box and to be able to talk about it? I think 
parts of the community created the identity in the box because as you're looking at it, when I started teaching 22 years ago, you actually had a majority of states that actually had laws that criminalized the sexual behavior of people who engaged in same-sex behavior, depending upon what the behavior was. So therefore, it's kind of becoming like a political movement or a social movement. There's a need to have an identity that brings people in, and therefore they respond to what is the social oppression that's being placed on them by society and often, and particularly in the United States, by the various states that didn't provide legal protections. So it was a way of identifying getting people involved from that group. And then outside of that group, you then had larger organizations that developed, such as the Human Rights Campaign, post-states the identity as far as the smaller movements of the gay and lesbian community, which goes back to the Daughters of Belitis in this country uh, and the Medicine Society in this country, which were kind of in the uh, uh, mid, probably mid-1930s, 1930s, 1950s. So you had those organizations that were small and fragmented, and then you've just seen a growth which gives a way of people identifying, supporting, and it's costly to address issues socially, uh, when you're challenging things in state courts, and you have to pay lawyers to do that. So it creates an identity. Do we like putting people in a box? It'd be nice if we didn't. In an ideal world, when we're looking at your show and saying, we really should just be accepting of people, I understand that. But yeah. when people are oppressed legally, then you kind of have to have a, a, co- a corresponding uh, response, and this identity in these groups allow them to do that. And so okay. I don't dominate. Chris, what are you thinking? I was just going to ask, Chris, is, is it true with Bruce said that it's actually nice that they have an identity now, even in the workforce? It can be. So, again, just to let people know who I am, I'm Chris Boyner with uh, Human Resources Communications Manager, and also my background related to LGBT is that I'm the chair of a, a lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender employee resource group. So I'm pleased to be here today. Um, as far as the LGBT being in a box or, or be, having an identity shared, I do agree that I think that um, it helps to bind together a community that sometimes um, has, has historically and, and periodically today tried to separate and, and, and uh, I guess, wage our own battles in our own letters. And I do think that as a group, if we can be more accepting within our group and show kindness to those that aren't exactly like us but um, share a similar plight, I think we can gain more. Um, in the workplace, one of the things I often use is that we do call ourselves an LGBT group. But I like to talk about the terms um, sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression as a way to make sure that the terms that I'm talking about are inclusive of everyone. Everyone has a sexual orientation. You're attracted to the opposite sex, same sex, both, or neither gender. Um, You have a gender identity. It's your innate sense, your internal sense of being male or female. And you choose to express yourself, your gender expression. You can express yourself in a more masculine or more feminine way can vary from day to day and things like that, but I choose to use those terms a lot because it doesn't specifically say it's us versus them. We all have a different spot on the spectrum in, in those terms, but uh, I think both help to raise visibility to um, LGBT issues. Absolutely. I, I, I like your expression there, sexual gender and sexual orientation. That's actually really nice because it includes truly everyone. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, Bruce, back to you. As a, as a professor and working in a college for, for many years, what do you feel are some of the misconceptions for LGBT people? 
Um, okay, I'm going to give it contextually from a generational perspective. And okay. what I see now as far as particularly in the Midwest, um, we see generational differences coming where I see with my students this issue of the sexual orientation, the gender identity, and even more sometimes the gender expression really isn't becoming an issue anymore. Part of that, I think, is a sense of we live in a region that actually has been very progressive, uh, not as progressive as some parts of the country, but progressive in the sense that we have legal protections. So therefore, as, as far as it's allowed people, once you have the legal protection, it allows you to express yourself knowing that if someone harms you in some way, there can be an accountability. From a school perspective, it would be part of a harassment uh, process that you can't do this to someone based on this status that they hold, although from a federal government perspective it isn't a protected status, okay, sexual orientation is not a protected status. Um, so I'm looking at it, the colleges and colleges have allowed that to occur, and therefore I'm seeing generational changes. Okay, um, That doesn't exist in all places at this point. There are still a number of states that you can actively discriminate in the state itself. So therefore, within the colleges, you can discriminate as well. There may be, through K-12, through when I'm looking at the human rights campaign stuff, there may be a lot of protections K-12 through because you're mandated to be there. So they have educational policies that protect kids, but a lot of colleges don't. Um, I'll share one personal story from 24 years ago, real briefly. Okay. Um, in Idaho, I don't have my doctoral degree, 18 credits short of it, because a professor chose to say all homosexuals should be dead. I was the only openly gay teaching assistant on that campus, but I did not have standing to sue him in a court of law. I still wouldn't have that in the state of Idaho because they don't have legal protections. So while some areas of the country are okay, there are others that clearly aren't. We're not on an equal playing field in this particular um, issue. So kind of where you live becomes important. Okay. Chris, a different, Chris, a different perception? or Chris, what do you think with what you just heard? I, I think I would tend to agree that I think, um, I think assumptions and stereotypes and perceptions and discrimination vary greatly, and it's not necessarily just geographically. I do think there's that as well. I think it depends in the workplace, for example, where you work, your company culture. Um, you know, if you work in an office versus a factory environment, I worked in both in the past, and I can tell you that there is a difference as far as discrimination on a variety of topics, or at least the way people approach things on a variety of uh, topics. And um, even in the best companies, there's discrimination and, and assumptions. Um, you know, you've mentioned stereotypes that people have. You know, it still cracks me up that um, people have an image. When when you say lesbian, they see a certain woman that that um, likely has short hair, dresses in flannel, um, has their uh, Birkenstocks on, and all these things. And you know, that is true for some. And so it's it's kind of amusing that if they happen to see somebody walk into a boardroom that's wearing a either a nice pantsuit or a a nice uh, nice dress. Their, their assumption probably isn't going to be that they're lesbian. It's sometimes breaking that not every lesbian looks like this, not every gay person looks like this. Um, and even if they do, it's, it's okay, and it doesn't mean that they aren't going to add value or that they are always going to be hitting on you or if they're transgender, that you need to be afraid of them. So, I mean, as far as I, I do agree, it depends on the region. It depends on the environment, um, a variety of factors. But I liked what you just said, Chris, that there was a difference when you work, for example, within a factory or a corporation. Do you have a concrete example of that? Sure. 
Um, I can I can give a couple of different examples. For, for okay. me, the, the easiest way to tell it, I guess, I'll, I'll give one office example and one factory example. In the office, um, I would say that in general, people tend to be a little bit more subtle um, in their discrimination. Um, oftentimes, it, it may be, I, I would say the silence is deafening at certain points in time, but I must say that I'm very fortunate to have a wonderful group to work with, so I'm certainly not saying that's the case now, but there have been times well, I'll have a meeting with someone, um, and perhaps the topic will come up. Someone will ask me about my wife, and I, of course, will answer, and we'll talk about the weekend. And you can see the judgment. You can see the perception, and suddenly you aren't really talked to as much by that person, and they tend to distance and, and pull back. And I'm thankful to say that's been a rarity in my experience, but it has happened. So that's more of an office type of stigma that comes with that. In the factory, the best example I have is I was working on the line, and, um, you know, Oftentimes, you would get hit on. That's kind of a common thing in the factory that doesn't happen in the office as much. Um, but then, I guess the biggest one is as I was leaving the, the factory and I was going to work at an office position, I, I was bullied on the job. And people thought it was in, entertaining to put um, fake $3 bills on my desk. If you aren't familiar with the expression, there's no. the expression, queer is a $3 bill. Um, what does that mean, Chris? So it's queer as a $3 bill that just simply, it was basically an image expression to say that, you know, you are, you are queer, you are, you are different, you are, you are gay, and, and they were picking on me for that. So it was definitely intended to be, this is a negative, we know you're gay, even though you aren't out, because I was in the closet at the time, I was very quiet about who I was. Um, mm -hmm. And they put that on there to let me know that they thought less of me, and it happened twice in that week before I left. Um, and I was devastated. So they tend to be a little more direct. When I ask people about it, they laughed, and they said, oh, that's, that's very funny with usually lots of curse words. But um, that's just one example of factory is going to be more upfront and in your face and, and um, blatantly wow. hurtful. And in the office, and, it's usually more subtle. And this, this was a while back? Or are we talking 10 years, 5 years, 20 years? Um, I would say it's more recent than you would expect. It's probably approximately five years ago that that happened. Five years ago. Oh, wow. Um, everyone, uh, stay tuned. We're going into a quick commercial break, and we will be right back with our two guests, Bruce and Chris. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv we all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. 
heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite twice every week, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety and on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. tuned in to might radio do you have a question or comment for our show perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness please send an email to gabriella von ray at gmail.com that's g-a-b-r-i-e-l-l-a-v-a-n-r-i-j at gmail.com now back to might radio with gabriella von ray Hi, everyone, and if you're just tuning in to Mind Radio, we have the subject LGBT, college versus workforce misconceptions, and our two guests are Bruce LeBlanc and Chris Vanya. Um, Chris, we were just talking about the difference between uh, discrimination of if you worked in a factory or if you worked for a corporation. When you were explaining that, both don't sound um, nice at all, but for you who has gone through the experience, which one was worse for you, and, and why do you think? Right, I was going to say that the answer to that probably is both or either, but um, to be honest, um, now that I have my feet and now that I am confident in who I am, which I wasn't back when the, the blatant example, the, the $3 bill happened to me, um, I truly think it's the subtle that is worse, the, the ones that do the silent judgments. You can't address it. You don't know where it is all the time. Um, you can't try to ask them questions and, and open a doorway to have them see that, you know, as an LGBT person, I have similar issues. I have friends. I have family. I have a life. I have a home. Uh, you know, I, I'm the same. So it's the silent judgment that um, you can't address. When people are blatant about it, um, if you can be confident in yourself and step back and try to educate as opposed to attack, which is not always the easiest, I find that better. So um, if you give me an opportunity to say something to correct uh, or at least educate, I like it better than the subtle. Um, and the way yeah. that I'll explain that is that oftentimes I think our friends, LGBT allies and friends, are silent when we need them to speak up. And so I often use the quote that in the end we will remember not the words of our enemies but the silence of our friends. That's a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. And that's true. I, I remember more when my friends don't speak up for me or when people are silently judging me than the words that they say. Absolutely. I use a phrase that I got from Gideon Polia, which is silence is complicity. You're just part of it when you don't speak up. How do you feel about this, uh, Bruce, Let, about, about the subtle silent judgment or the direct, basically, insult? Okay. 
Um, when I look at this as far as I'm going to respond first to what I'm hearing from Chris, and then I'll respond of a course. little bit about the subtle parts. And I'm sorry I spoke over you. Um, what I see happening with Chris is, and what she's doing is basically she's being a very positive role model. Um, and that's what I kind of heard as that last part as far as also allowing the people who should say things as well. Oftentimes I think it's the silence of friends that hurts more. When you hear people that say, no, I don't like prejudice, discrimination, and whatever, that sometimes hurts more to me than the other person who I know may have a different belief system or value system and is subtly discriminating as well. But the power that I'm hearing from Chris is Chris is being a positive role model for herself in her workplace, in her community. And I go back to someone who influenced me way back when in my readings, which was Richard Moore, who's a professor at uh, Southern Illinois University. And he basically said that those of us who are sexual minorities need to have the power, but it takes a lot of internal strength to do that, to come out and share with people who we are. So essentially we normalize what is, and therefore it forces the other people to deal with us as real human beings. Therefore, that's why I always challenge people that are part of the minority, sexual minority communities to do that. Um, relative to the other issues, I'll make a, two comments. One, um, we still have a hyper-masculine society, so when I'm looking at Chris talking about the work environment, particularly the factory, I'm thinking it was predominantly dominated by a male work environment. Is that true, Chris? Yes. Okay, so I look at that as far as, and we, when you have hypermasculinity, I'm not justifying it, but there is that whole mindset of this is what a male is supposed to be, and that's why oftentimes as far as there's often violence against gay men in particular, and generally it's more physical violence, because we threaten, somehow they feel threatened about their uh, masculinity because of who and what I am. I'll go back to Chris's comment way earlier on about, you know, as far as don't presume I'm going to hit on you. I often joke when I teach my human sexuality class to my students, and, you know, students learn that I'm gay, and it's like they perceive if they're uncomfortable because they really haven't had a lot of interaction. And I look at them and say, please, I have standards, just like you have when you date someone, simply because you're male and simply because you have a certain part of your anatomy doesn't mean I'm attracted to that at all. Okay? Don't perce- don't perceive or presume that I I'm interested at all because I as a person as Chris said have a sexual orientation but I also have an orientation to a particular type of person. You know, it's just not because you're living and breathing. And sometimes But this is what people are scared well. of, right? They are scared that I mean, I can imagine that that happens in college that you're teaching something and and you're let's say that you're passionately teaching anything to another male and the male suddenly realizes that you're gay he thinks instantly oh my god you know what now because you you feel threatened i think well I because because it happens so it, often in it, straight couples yeah well as far as i try to diffuse that in the sense of you i come out very early on i've been openly gay since i've been at the college so mm-hmm. it's been a struggle here as well and i've got other stories but when I look at that as far as if it's out in the open, then you try to set a level of comfortableness right away, but that's my responsibility as the professor in the classroom teaching a class. It's a little bit different than a regular work environment. Yeah, but to be honest to what you just said there, Bruce, I couldn't agree more that um, you know, one of the things I keep in mind is that me coming out was so important. It, it was important for me, one, because I could mm-hmm. to work fully. I wasn't as afraid. I was I was able to be me at work. I could I could finally not feel like I was putting myself in that box. And in general, it's been a fantastic experience. But if the more people that that um and it needs to be in your own terms and on your own time in your own time. Correct. But coming out helps people to see that it, you know you don't have to be scared. 
Um, I'm not going to hit on everyone. I haven't yet. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, there's, you know, and, and I haven't had a whole lot of stigma, or I don't feel that my career is being limited. And once I gave people that trust to say, okay, I'm putting myself out there because I can't live in this box anymore, it was so freeing. People are connecting more. People are showing their allies support more, so they found their voice by me finding my voice. Mm-hmm. And and it is familiar. It's just like, oh, yep, that's, that's Chris, and that's all that they say about me, and that's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. For me, um, I have I have no experience that you have about coming out of the box, but I think the moment we accept who we are, it is already totally fantastic, and everyone will accept you the way you show up in life. Correct, Chris? That's what you're saying, right? Yes. You know, you know, before before I came out, I tried to avoid conversations about people's spouse and children's and excuse me, children and parents and siblings. And, you know, I, that limited my ability to build relationships, to build the rapport and the trust. So if you keep those details of your life to yourself, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting your relationships, and you're hurting your career. And, yes, when you, when you accept yourself, when you can publicly go out and say, okay, I know that as a general society and this is changing, and maybe Bruce has good statistics, but as a society we're getting more accepting now, and so I'm, I'm not necessarily going to be... Um, disapproved of by over 50% of the population. Um, but regardless, it's still a scary step to take. And when you do that honesty in, inside yourself and you do that, that honesty outside yourself, huge difference. But, you know, I, I watch the news like all of us, hopefully not too often, because it's miserable out there what we hear. But um, I cannot specifically say the athlete who just came out, uh, Chris or Bruce, but there's a football player, I think, in the na- last two months came out openly that he's gay. And I, when I read the articles or see it on the news, I wonder why there's so much attention still on that instead of just saying, hey, it's normal. He decided to openly accept who he is and then move on. And it seems that we have all these articles about it because he's a jock. I mean, he's considered what Bruce just said um, in a position of, of, of a male and an athlete. And so apparently there are different, different rules. Is this true? Um. I'll respond for I'll yeah. respond first and quickly. What I look at as far as I call um, athletics the last frontier of coming out. Okay, and uh-huh. again it goes back to our image of that maleness and that hyper maleness. And I use an example in my social class when I look at high school football. It's like each kind of like community creates their male warriors, and the male warriors go off to war and try to win the football game, which is the war, and then they have bragging rights that somehow <laughs> our, our, our genes are better than your genes and our town's better than your town. So it reinforces all this image of this masculinity and winning whatever, and there is that psychological perception that somehow a male who's attracted to other males somehow doesn't fit that ideal model or type. So therefore, when you're looking at it, I don't think it's as much as, you know, people being in the shower with ever, you know, with ever and people looking at one another. It's just that it doesn't fit the image of a jock. 
Um, and that didn't fit the image of me being a jock in high school. So I hit it in high school. I mean, I lettered in four sports. I was co-captain of my football team, a regional, you know, football all-star. Didn't fit the image, and therefore you don't feel comfortable being that image. So you're looking at, from a college perspective, that's in a more elite group. And then only the players that have really come out. I can't remember if there's an active, I think that was a college player you're talking about. There's there was, there was some football yeah. players who have come out because it's then safe. They only come out after it's safe. It really take, It's going to take that bold person to sit there and say, I am who I am, and I'm still going to play the game, and you have to respect me. But so, but my question instantly is, when is it safe? When is it safe? Yeah, because this person apparently was gay for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, Bruce, the comments weren't very nice. I no, mean, people not. weren't reacting nicely to this jog. When that happens... That becomes the issue of then it reinforces it's not, it's not a safe environment still. So the person really is the pioneer and the risk person. The only other thing I look at is, and I hate to, and I am one of these kind of like formal people, that if it occurs relative to looking at the person perceived now that's harassment or harassment, sexual harassment, because it's making them feel uncomfortable, okay, although or, sexual orientation may not be a protected minority status, they may have some standing to sit there and say, you can't do that to me. But then you go through a whole legal process or procedure, administrative procedural process, which a lot of people don't want to go through. So it really takes the pioneer to say, I'm comfortable enough with me to go through whatever I have to go through to advance the cause for myself, which then helps other people. Chris? I don't really have a whole lot to add. The only thing I can say, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, and the only difference is that I think on the female side, it's not as difficult, and I think that relates to that whole um, ultra-male image that you're talking about, that it, you know, in, in softball, probably females have a harder time getting people to believe that they're straight as opposed to lesbians. So, uh, um, <laughs> Chris, I got a story. on the women's side. Quick story. Oh, that's a good one. I, didn't, I, I never heard that Oh, no, before. no. When I did my research on lesbian couples in Utah, well, in Utah it's fairly conservative and there weren't rights then, when I went to a softball tournament, Okay. Mm -hmm. The person who went there said, I said, okay, identify potential couples or research subjects. And she goes, on that team, everybody but four people. <laughs> I mean, so, it, so there wow. is that misperception, which is unfair to people and women who want to play softball, particularly okay. the heterosexual women who want to play softball. Okay. Yeah. Guys, this is really interesting, but we have to go in a commercial break. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host, Jordan Kimmel, is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G A B R I E L L A. V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. And for everyone who just started listening, we're talking about LGBT, college versus workforce, and all the misconceptions. And our two guests today are Bruce LeBlanc and Chris Vanya. I have an interesting question for you. What is the percentage of LBGT in a typical workplace and or college, who would like to start, Chris? Ooh, okay, sure. <laughs> Chris, let me take that because <laughs> I, I went to the website. Say. Let me take it and I'll give you the website and then you can think whatever because I didn't have these right offhand. So I went to a university news. Um, it actually comes from, I'll give you my site because I have to do that as an academic, the Brown Daily Herald and looking at it. And this is what they found from a college student perspective. Um, identifying as far as we had heterosexual, 81.4% for men, 87.5% for women. Homosexual, uh, looking at, that would include gay men and lesbians, that's the overall word. It was 11.3% for men, 2.1% for women. Uh, bisexual identification was 4.5 for men, 6.8 for women. And then we had other, and those could be the polyamorous people, um, as far as looking at that. And then they said, did not know or did not answer, and it was a small percentage as well. So those are the college stats. Chris, any thoughts on work? Yeah, as far as the workplace, I would say that it's actually probably very similar to the, or it should be at least, pretty similar to the population statistics. And I think that aligns very closely with what they're seeing in the college world. I think they say around 10 to 15 percent, so I'm ballparking here, um, of people are are gay. Um, So I think it's somewhere around there. And I think it also depends on your region. I do believe that, you know, for example, San Francisco has a a pretty big poll, and so I think you'd find a a higher percentage of LGBT employees there. But even at at Midwest companies um, and areas like that, I I think that people would be surprised by the number of transgender people that may be in their organization. Um, You know, uh, I recently did a poll with my... uh, 
LGBT employee resource group, and I work for a relatively good-sized company. But even so, I was shocked to find out that um, six people on the survey identified as transgender. So that's still a very small percentage. But I guess I would just say that if you look around your company and you're like, you know, no, none of these people are LGBT, think again. And, and, and Chris, I would concur with that as far as the transgender, transsexual folks are the folks that are, I think, the new emerging group um, relative to empowering themselves to express who they are, particularly in college environments and work environments. Uh, we're going to see some of those tensions develop as far as how do we address that within a college work environment as far as what locker rooms you use, what restrooms you use, and how it all plays out. Because um, that's there's this assertion which is appropriate as far as that's who their identity is. That's not changing when we look at transsexualism. It is a internal brain issue. It's not a choice issue. It is who they are just like who you are as a heterosexual person. Yeah. And it's nice to see that they're finally feeling comfortable and supportive uh, in, in expressing who they are. Well, as you guys both know, I'm going to jump into this uh, because it's near and dear to my heart. But these children, like you just said, it's getting earlier and earlier that people are expressing more um, that they are transgender. And it's a question I was stumped the first time they asked me because I really hadn't dealt with it. And I never even thought of uh, that there could be a problem about washrooms in public schools. But true, if a little girl of seven or eight says to the teacher, but I'm a boy, and the teacher knows uh, darn well that it's a girl uh, with a ponytail in her hair and it's a girl's name, and she says, no, I'm going to the boys' washroom, what's your take on that for both of you? Because, honest, I my only solution at the time was to say to the teacher, can this child who feels that she's a transgender use the teacher's washroom? And they said to me, we don't want to start with that. But of course, she feels uncomfortable in the girl's washroom and in the boys she gets laughed at and she gets bullied. So what can we, what can we do to help these people that are saying this earlier and earlier? Because we have never seen this before. 20 years ago, um, boys or girls didn't say this in an elementary school. Chris? Sure. Um, I guess one thing is that it, it kind of, to be, to be honest, it baffles me that people are so obsessed with naughty bits. That's my term for what's between people's legs. Um, it okay. confuses me, whether they're, whether they're 5 or 7 or 27 or 57. Um, it's just interesting to me because... With transgender, if they truly feel that they are innately a male or female, um, mm -hmm. and it may be different from their outward um, appearance, one thing that's interesting is that that you know, especially in the workplace, they say, "Well, gosh, I, I don't want a transgender, um, someone who's a, a male to female transgender, to be in the in the restroom with me because they, you know, they might try to assault me." Well, one, it doesn't have anything to do with sexual orientation at all. So anyway, that's interesting for me, an adult. But for kids, it, to me, that's sad that. Um, people are that concerned about where someone goes to the restroom it's um I it's still a child right i mean yes i can't that's imagine why i didn't understand that they fault. couldn't use the washroom of the teachers but i i understand that there's a, a key involved and but if it's about bullying and this child gets bullied in the boys bathroom let's just 
take away the problem. You think we could go back to bathrooms that were for both sexes? Oh, and and, and just not have this problem? Or let, am let me, I totally me, off? Can, I'm gonna put. Can I'm gonna put a cultural spin on it? Yes, Across please the world, go for basically, it. they're far less concerned about body parts and body functions. Okay, where? Uh, when I look as far as bathroom usage, shower usage, yeah. you hear in other countries that there are, you know, co-ed showers and people just go in and use the bathroom. Unfortunately, in our country, that hasn't been the mindset. Um, as an example, for some in some states, it's illegal for an adult male to go into a female bathroom or a female to go into an, a, a male bathroom. But can can I'm really sorry to interrupt you, but I, I just want you to know how often do we go to a bathroom? That's for both in a small restaurant or pub. You do, you do, but generally it's a private bathroom where if you go in, you lock the door. So it's a one person. It's not a True. communal. True. That's that's one True. of the differences. True. The Europeans really don't. They see it differently. They've been living much longer. That's why sometimes they were like adolescents <laughs> in this country. Seriously, we are like adolescents. We're you know, two hundred someone makes me feel ancient. <laughs> so to me, it's part of it's a legal issue in some states. Okay. Okay. The other issue as far as when I'm looking at the kid who identifies, and I'm not a clinical psychologist, I'm more of an academic, so I'm looking at, I'm not sure they would diagnose, because transsexualism has to be diagnosed by a, by a medical doctor and generally a psychologist or psychiatrist in that sense before they begin the treatments and go through the process. So I'm not sure the diagnostic criteria would be met for a child. We're very careful. They're very careful about diagnosing conditions in children for a lot of things as far as setting up, putting that label on someone. The child is certainly identifying, but I'm not sure that the professional community would. Now, in a school system, I think the school has to provide a safe environment, which means if it's not safe for them to go into the boys' room and if it's not safe, they don't feel comfortable going into the girls' room, the reasonable accommodation is, and most places have been forced to do this by lawsuit is they get to use the private bathroom of someone else which is the teacher's bathroom it causes a problem but that's the reasonable accommodation under that circumstance just so you know out of 10 schools five schools tell me that they have this problem yeah the the schools are responsible for finding a solution to make it safe for the child well, they say that there's no money to create new washrooms, of course. Well, and no, would... then they use their, the principal has one, the teachers have one, it's a reasonable accommodation, and it's simple to do. Unfortunately, they're going to end up getting sued, and I hope they do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't know what to say school... to that, Chris. What do you? <laughs> well, I was just going to say that this issue is very similar to what happens in the workplace, and, and probably at colleges, too, I'm guessing, but... Um, same thing that work workforces need to make reasonable accommodations and and oftentimes for the safety of the transgender individual, it's sad but it often has to be um, a restroom converted to a unisex uh, locked one stall facility so that they can feel safe and I think that that's an important thing. One, um, they probably would like to be I hate to use the term but um, part of the normal process and go to the restroom that they identify with but for their safety. Um, it, it does make sense to have a unisex restroom, and, and I personally have used one in the in the states. Um, it's not very common. It was at an out and equal workplace summit, so a, a LGBT conference event. And you know, it was strange when I walked out of the restroom and I saw a man coming out of the stall across from me. But it, it is one of those things where, if you think about it, what does it matter? Um, so, in the grand scheme of things, I just hope that we are protecting our children and we are protecting our transgender employees. And, and helping to change the culture so that we can grow into our adulthood like Europe has. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to add anything to that, Bruce? No, that's what, no, I 
clearly agree because that's actually when there have been some legal cases that have gone forward, particularly I think of San Francisco. One of them was it was an executive who uh, had been a male executive becoming a female executive um, and was beginning the process of transitioning post-surgery. It's like, where do they go? They Here's a private stall that anybody can use, and here's the key if you need the key, and everyone feels safe. It'd be nice if we could say bodily functions are bodily functions, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, but my not, my manager it, must think like you because she wrote on a piece of paper. We need to go back to outhouses. I don't know <laughs> if this is truly that funny. Why I think that may not occur? We've actually empowered students to be more body negative. And I'll give you the example when I teach my sexuality class. The body negativity comes in as they don't have to take showers in high school anymore after doing athletic, after doing uh, PE. It's not required. So they can go back to class smelling and reeking of sweat. And I'm going, that just has to be disgusting in my mind. And but that our is courts only upheld, because they don't, they don't have naked. to shower anymore. So therefore, a lot of schools have put in private showers. So there's, there's less of a sense of what happens in the rest of the world, like, oh, a body's a body and it's not about sex. It's about just hygiene and cleanliness and who cares. We've actually created a new set of generations that are coming through that I find are far much more body negative. So to ask them to go in and do bodily functions coming out of that environment is even going to be more of a radical switch, but I think we need to go there. Yeah, absolutely. I have one more question before the next commercial break. Are the laws, the laws out there forcing us to be more understanding to LGBT, or are the parents teaching the children and college students to be less judgmental? What is your take on that, Chris? So are the parents or the, is it, do you think yeah, the laws are the parents? Basically, I'm, I'm, I'm always saddened if it's only the law that are changing that are teaching us the awareness to be kinder to LGBT. Or do you think it's parents out there starting, because we were saying that everything is a little bit nicer now than it was 5 to 10, 15 years ago. And my question is, is it because of the laws? Or do you think that parents out there are actually teaching to be less judgmental towards gay, lesbians, bisexual, and transgender? In general, I truly think it's more the visibility issue. I think that there are more people that are coming out. There is more acceptance. So people are seeing it at an earlier age. And so it is parents and it's friends, uncles and aunts and um, grandparents and all these people that are LGBT around them. And, you know, it's starting to be put in not just a negative light in the in the media and in movies and, and all of that. So I think that the more exposure, I think that's starting to change the law because it's starting to change the lawmakers. And it's starting to change our children because it's starting to change our adults. Um, so I think it's, Honestly, I think the root cause of the change is people, and, and it's been going on since the 60s, but um, and probably long before that. But I think it's the people that are that are making the change. Okay, absolutely. We're going to go quickly in a commercial break, and we'll be right back, everyone. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? 
Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. What if you were willing to be controversial, choosing kindness instead of judgment, willing to stand out from the crowd, being a leader in creating a new reality, even if others don't follow? You can make a difference. Start by tuning in to The Value of Controversy. Each week, our hosts will bring you the tools to help create the world that you want to live in and explore what's possible when you choose from the controversy of consciousness. Listen for The Value of Controversy every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A-V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Chris and Bruce, it's good to be back after the commercial break, and it's our last commercial break and the last segment of the show. Uh, we were just talking during the um, commercial break for the listeners here about Cher's son, Chaz Bono, and what he might have done to open the discussion on transgender. What is your take on that, Bruce? Mine is as far as looking at it, as far as any time you have a, a high-profile individual, it mm-hmm. brings a larger discussion into the community and or society because you saw a lot of that on TV and the discussions and talking to his mom and talking to Chaz as far as looking at that and exploring the issue. So anytime I think that happens, there's a popular press regarding that as far as the issue becomes in the forefront. And then people really, if they're open, they really should try to understand the issue. So kind of like that was a kind of like a popular empowerment that I think allows other people who uh, wish to express that as well. It's kind of the permission giving that now we can have that conversation where maybe we couldn't before. Yeah, absolutely. And Chris, you mentioned during the commercial break, how can people that are listening, how can they help to break the myth about LGBT? Yes. Do you you have a suggestion? Yeah, and basically I... Whenever I speak to people, I always want them to know what I can, what they can do when they walk away. So we've talked a little bit about some of the myths and things. So some of the things that you can do, whether you are LGBT or an ally, and so an ally is basically someone who's not LGBT but supports it, but just keep your mind and heart open. Listen to other perspectives and share your stories. Um, so open the dialogue. Don't underestimate the importance of those allies and those conversations. And things simple as using inclusive language. If you start to do that and you start to pay attention and you meet somebody new for the first time and they're a male, and if you don't say, oh, you know, who's your wife or what does your wife do if you see a, w- a ring? If you say instead, oh, I, you know, what does your spouse do? And ask about things in inclusive terms. Or if you aren't sure what pronoun to use, if it's a transgender person, ask them. So having those honest and frank conversations, reading and learning more and using your voice. So those are just the things that if you don't, um, you know, take take what we shared um, and and 
let that spark a passion, hopefully. That's what I hope to do. Okay. So, for yeah. example, yeah. I, I just want to repeat for a second for the listeners. So, instead of saying, um, uh, do you have a husband? You say, do you have a spouse? Yes. That's what you were saying, right? That's an inclusive word. Yes. Okay. That's good for everyone to know spouse. I'm writing I'm gonna this down. I'm going to add a little bit of a challenge because I'm not sure which what your readers are going to hear or if this gets going to get played. I'm going to challenge the people who may not want to accept us for whatever reason. And this is what okay. I ask them to do. That is, it's kind of like find the common ground and have the dialogue. Okay? Meet someone who... Uh, that you may not agree with, be it because of a religious background, because of the lifestyle, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, whatever it is, as far as, and have that conversation with them, because I enjoy those conversations. So it doesn't become one of anger and position. It's like, please understand my story. I had one of those with a student this week who is more religiously conservative, came from a fundamentalist background, learned that I was gay, or asked me if I was, and then, yes, I didn't come out in that class because it wasn't the sexuality class, but then I explained to her how I can be a religious person, because I'm also an independent Catholic bishop, that I can be that religious person and still be who I am as a gay male, and explain to her why, how that can happen theologically and scripturally within, her tradi- within my tradition, but within her understanding as well. So those people who don't necessarily like us, they need to engage in that dialogue as well, because we're going to progress as a society, uh, socially, um, culturally, and I think legally, that there are going to be more protections, and they're not going rather than the fighting, let's find out how do we have that common ground to get along. But, but I, I would totally agree with what you just said, but I was just going to actually mention religion too, because when I speak in front of a group of teenagers that have all been kicked out of their homes, uh, and these are Christian homes just because they came out for their sexual orientation. I'm not sure that the mind and hearts of these parents are open at all. They are okay. so close. Well, what do my, we do? My quick response is two to that. One, those parents need to be held accountable because they're legally liable for the child until they're 18. After 18, they're an adult, you can choose, but you're responsible for raising your child. If you don't like the child's, um, what, something about the child, that's your issue to deal with, but you're legally responsible. I don't like the hatred that's there. Religion for me is, as far as I, I, I'm a true constitutionalist. We all have a First Amendment right to practice our religious beliefs, but I don't have a right to force them on someone else. That's the difference. Okay, so I know people don't like me because of their fundamentalist or even those from a Roman Catholic tradition because I'm disordered. I got that. They have a right to that position. I can't say their position is wrong. Otherwise, they get to say my position is wrong theologically and scripturally. I can't go into that battle. But the question is, as far as you don't have a right to force that on the rest of society, but it's really tragic when they do it to the child that they procreated. I, I think so, too. And I just say to the child, they don't know any better and mm-hmm. keep talk, keep talking to your parents. That's my advice, because I think that the parent, after they do this, actually really miss the child. And and if the child, especially because of the role being a child, can actually teach the parents some mm-hmm. humility on that and actually unconditional love. I think that child has all the potential of teaching that to the parent, even when it's been rejected. For me, particularly, and I'm going to challenge the Christians, for me the fundamental practice there is to love, because that's what the gospel is all about. And when you stop doing that to your child, you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, how am I being Christian? 
Gothenburg. Yeah. That is exactly what yeah. I was thinking about is that um, in most of the religions, and I haven't studied them all, but in most of them, one of the fundamental things is that it's really trying to set a societal standard or a cultural standard, religious standard, for love and kindness and um, basically humane treatment of those around us and create a community. And so that's what I see in a lot of them, but in practice, somehow that doesn't come across that other things are put above that and, and it's an interpretation, but um, it's a sad interpretation to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree totally I agree. with you. I wish we could talk for another hour, but we can't. Our time is up for everyone. Bruce, I appreciate you being my guest again on the show. You're very, very welcome. And Chris, thank you for giving your insights about the workforce because it's really important that we bring awareness to LGBT and that we stop being all fearful of one another and that everyone can live out of the closet and out of the comfort zone. That's my quest in life, that people can just be and that everyone accepts that. Thank you so much for being on the show and next week we'll be back with another Might Radio Show. Thank you again for joining us this week. Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray can be heard every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week, and until our next show, think of a random act of kindness that you can perform. Mm-hmm.